space. Well, not really. Take two. Here, in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best things as the neutral zone, with your co-captains, Charlie Carden and Alex Terry. Back again on the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am uh, your humble servant, Trek Lord of West Michigan, uh, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey for Starfleet International, Charlie Carden. And I'm joined by a special guest this week. Alex uh, was uh, otherwise obligated, could not join me. So we brought in a mutual friend, uh, a luminary in Region 13 in Starfleet International and also an officer aboard the USS Nomad. This is Aaron Davies. Aaron, how the heck are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You got it. And uh, yeah, so um, what we always like to do at Secret Friends in general is when we have somebody new who's joining us as a co-host, we have uh, them give us their elevator pitch, their Reader's Digest version of how did you get into the life, as it were? How did you become a fan of genre stuff, in this case, Star Trek or just anything? So hit me with it. What made you a, a geek? What made you a trekker? My dad's a geek, and I grew up on The Next Generation, um, and then I just kind of never outgrew it. Th- that that works. That's my that's my story, too, and I'm sticking with it. Well, cool. Well, we are, uh, we're picking up uh, kind of where we left off uh, before last episode, which was the, the rundown of Star Trek V, where we had uh, Alex and I talked with Todd, who is my, uh, my co-host over on the Prime uh, Secret Friends Unite podcast. But we were talking about Deep Space Nine. So Deep Space Nine Season 1 uh, kicked off in January of 1993 uh, and ran through May, June, uh, or thereabouts. Let's see, when that wrap up? It wrapped up in June of 1993. So... Uh, truncated season. It was 10 episodes as opposed to the standard 26, which is isn't it crazy to think that shows used to have 26 episodes in a season in like a nine month season. And yeah, so 26 episodes. Each episode is what, like an hour long? Uh, probably close to the magnitude of like 45 to 47 minutes once you cut out the commercials. Yeah. I, I mean, now what do we get? Eight to 10? And, and they're, they're high 40. production value, yeah, but right. still. Yeah, most definitely. So, so yeah, without a doubt, this is uh, from a different time. Um, but there's still some good stuff in here. Uh, but as with, you know, as we've talked about with all of these, uh, with the first season of, of really almost any show, but again, with the exception of uh, the original series, which had some of that series' strongest episodes, both TNG and DS9 really suffered from kind of first season syndrome and Voyager even more so, which is what Alex and I are going to be talking about next week. Wow, there were some stinkers in that one. But first let's... three seasons of Voyager oh, were pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, you could probably count on two hands episodes that were passable within those three seasons. I agree with you. Um, but regardless, let's jump right back on into it. So we're covering episodes 11 through 20. Uh, in the first season of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to toss it to you to read these recaps, if you'd be so inclined. Uh, episode 11 is The Nagus. Do you get these um, recaps from Netflix? I'm curious. I, I, I think I think it's from a Wikipedia page. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so The Nagus is, Quarkus named the head of the Ferengi Alliance by Grand Nagus Zek, but he is also now surrounded by enemies. So this is the first real farcical Ferengi episode. Um, you know, and again, it, it has a lot of 
kind of moving parts that that change and disperse uh, with relationships because we get we get uh, introduced to Grand Nagasek, who is the absolutely superb Wallace Shawn, who uh, really rose to fame a few years before this, uh, you know, being the Princess Bride with the inconceivable catchphrase. I, I kept hearing him with my dinner with Andre being like, wow, that's interesting every time I saw his face. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but we also got a little bit more of a character study uh, w- with Quark's brother, Rom, who will become an enormous character later on in the series. Now, he was portrayed anywhere in the se- first season between a bumbling Id- idiot or kind of a kind of a snarling uh, Ferengi creep, as you see in this episode, where he's trying to once, uh, you know, Quark uh, is erroneously given this Grand Nagus title uh, because it, it, in the end, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the Nagus trying to trying to try out a successor to see if he can retire. Um, and, and ultimately, it's, it's not his plan. And then he fakes his own death and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's really kind of a sitcom episode. But, yeah, you see Rom kind of taking a hard edge. Uh, and being like, well, now I'm going to kill my brother so that I can be Nagus, and it's just the, that is just not a uh, not a character trait that really endures with the character, which I think is fine because that's the way all the other Ferengi seem to be. Uh, so why would you want to just have him kind of be another one of the pack? I know, but when you see him like in later episodes, he's just so like vulnerable and sensitive. It's shocking, and and how. Uh, he's just totally dedicated to his brother. It was shocking to me how unforgivable this was for me when I was watching it. I think I said right. it was almost unforgivable because he does redeem himself later in the season. But yeah, was this it, was yeah. bold. Was, was it inconceivable? It was more, <laughs> that's interesting. Oh, fascinating. So uh, any final thoughts on this episode before we move on? Um, I didn't feel that O'Brien has the temperament to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Let alone a substitute. And right. um, I also felt, you know what, Quark would make the perfect Grand Nagus. Absolutely. And again, at the end of the series, the irony is, and not to spoil anything since it's been off the air for, you know, 25 years, Rom does become the Nagus in the end. You yeah. know, but it, be- it becomes the Nagus of a Ferengi alliance that is uh, the complete flip side of the the profit-driven Frankie Alliance that we're all familiar with. So it's interesting to contrast that versus his role in this. It's just It just shows you that, that things are always in evolution and when you don't have a steady hand on the reins. Now, this was a story by David Livingston, who goes on to continue uh, to uh, write the series, but also tell played by Iris Stephen Bear, who is the most associated person along with, I think, with Rondi Moore for the series in general. Um, so obviously, you know, it just goes to show that at this early stage, they were really just kind of throwing some stuff to the wall to see what sees what sticks, which is the case in, like I said, the other seasons that we discuss. So um, anyway, okay, moving on. Uh, episode 12, Vortex. Odo discovers he might not be the only one of his kind when a visitor from the Gamma Quadrant claims he can contact Odo's people. Mm, kind of a, one of these early whodunits. Uh, we get introduced to another race, and I'm not sure if it's made uh, clear. I don't think they're a Gamma Quadrant race, the Miradorn. They're twins. So, yeah, and they're twins, but they're kind of like the Corsican twins. You know, one dies and the other one feels pain or the, the Crimson it was, twins. Uh, it was retired Daft Punk. 2040. <laughs> That's what they oh, look right. like to me. Without the helmets and and played by um like veteran Star Trek character actor. Oh yeah. Actor Randy Oglesby, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so just like one of those like Vaughn Armstrong, he's the other guy who's been every every race. Uh, he's been in every 
of he's in every one of the classic series with the exception of TOS, and then we haven't seen him in the new series. But yeah, they just had certain people on speed dial. Like, ah, come on in, we gotta throw a you know some ears and a snout on you, and you're a, you're an alien this week. So, um, but anyway, I thought you know, and the the other the other the guest actor who was uh, now I'm forgetting the name of who the, the guy who was kind of stringing Odo along. It was Keldon or Claris or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember his name either. But um, he he's a, he's a very familiar face, even again under light makeup. But yeah, this was this was clearly an early stab at like the mystery of Odo, and we know he's from the other side of the wormhole. And what does it all mean? And and the, I think that he throws out the term shapeshifter or changeling. And it was like, ooh, what does that mean? What's going on? So you know, in the end of it, it's it, it ends up being a hustle. Um, and this guy uh, who leads uh, Odo into the vortex over in the Gamma Quadrant uh, is really just out to rescue his daughter. Uh, and then at the end of it, uh, to escape death, the guy takes off, and then Odo dumps this guy's daughter on somebody, and she's never heard from again. So you assume she's okay, but who's to say? Yeah, I'm sure she was okay. Who knows where they dumped her? Yeah, right. Oh, they dump everybody on Bajor. Why not? That did seem to be kind of a common theme. So any other thoughts about this episode? I didn't find it to be particularly remarkable. I actually really love this episode um, because they build up the whole – this is the buildup for Odo's air of mystery. Um, But I did feel he was a little bit extra with Quirk. Um, And you kind of see that throughout all the – like he can still get the same message conveyed maybe in a nicer way. He's just so – mean to him all right. the time i hear extra. yeah you're right the extra i like yeah, that he's a little bit extra gotcha. well i really love this next episode this is uh 13 is battle lines battle lines the spiritual leader of bajor kai opaka travels with cisco bashir and kira on a trip to the gamma quadrant but is stranded on a world where the dead are resurrected so i dig the concept uh we have our first uh series uh, death uh, of an of of a, a B character, which is Kaiopaka, and again she's the spiritual leader uh, of Bajor. Uh, we know that Bajor is obviously really struggling. That was established obviously early on. They're trying to kind of find their way after the the end of the Cardassian occupation. This one ends up being a great character study for Kira as well, because you know Apaka is the the ultimate you know cutting through the bullshit kind of person. She's very blunt, like Kira. This is what you're struggling with, and knock it off, and you know, you, you know, face your demons. And Kira breaks down crying. This is where <laughs> I thought in the first season in particular uh, that Nana's visitor's character of Kira was named after Captain Kirk because of all the emoting she did. She like ugly cries this episode. She's like, eh, 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 eh. that that scene where she's grieving though is really really intense, and she I does agree. a remarkable job with it. Right. Now, I, I do know, I, and I think she's a wonderful uh, actor. And I do, too. I, I think as time goes on, she displays that in different ways that aren't quite so Shatnery. But I, I think a lot of these kind of seemed Kirkish, which I, I just was like, oh, look at her being Kirk. She also kisses weird. I noticed that in later episodes where she's, if she's kissing uh, uh, her boyfriend, who's the, the, the next, the, the other, Vedic Barile, or later when she's with Odo, she just is a weird kisser. I don't know why that stood, it has always stood out to me, but whatever. I've never um, noticed. Yeah, I'm telling you, watch. Just keep your eyes peeled if you continue to watch more episodes. When she kisses someone, she's just like, Ooh, it's just, it's very bizarre. Um, but yeah, this was a great allegory. Obviously, you have uh, these the Noel and the Noel Ennis. I'm just, I'm just grabbing from memory on this planet in the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, the, the the field itself uh, will bring anyone back to life who dies, but the field itself is what sustains them. Uh, within the environment only. So if they leave, they die. So in the end, Apaka, who dies when the sh- the uh, when the runabout crashes, 
uh, has to end up staying, and then it becomes her her mission to uh, basically bolster a peace once our people escape. So, um, I, I I mean, I thought I thought it was of the episodes that we've watched uh, in season one. I I found this one to be a hit. I, I really thought it had some some good good pacing. It was a good kind of Star Trek story. I just I enjoyed it. I only had one issue with it. They could have done more with Kaiopaka. I mean, because she's obviously still existing. Right. But they never did. You know, I think, and I, I'm, I, I didn't, I, I didn't read them all. And keep it in mind, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of the canon police when it comes to Star Trek. Somebody will come at me and say, well, in a book, this thing or that thing happened. Well, everybody really knows, or it's, a, it's a pretty firmly established fact that that books are a, a separate continuity from the show. So I know for a fact there was a post. Uh, DS9 finale relaunch. I read many of the books. Some of them I really enjoyed. And I know there was a book that I didn't read, but I've simply touched on blurbs of it where Jake goes to the Gamma Quadrant, he visits this planet, and Opaka is able to leave with him, and I believe she comes back. Um, so, but that is, again, that's, you know, post relaunch, and so it never it's never on screen. Right. Uh, but so, even for like a, a special right. guest star, like they do all the time, I mean, they even do special guest stars like they did on uh, The Next Generation. Um, they'll even do that with people who've died as well, their daughters or something. They did right. nothing with her character. Yeah, so have her in a few flashbacks. Yeah, I was going to say, that's all it was. I know the episode uh, at the end of season two, where uh, Beryl is accused of, of orchestrating this, uh, this mass, or this mass or selling out a, a group that got murdered. And it turns out it was, it was Kyle pocket did it to she, she sacrificed her son and this group of people in order to save a different group of people. So she did show up in flashbacks of that episode. So I don't know that she was in any other, so it might've just been that one. So wonderful actually I think her name is, uh, Carmine Devolia or something like that. You just see her one, again, one of those in the seventies and eighties, you saw her in absolutely everything. And she was just, she was just great. So, um, moving on, uh, number 14 is storyteller. Uh, not a favorite of mine, but I'm going to let you tackle that one. So you go for it. O'Brien is recruited to save a Bajoran village from destruction by a mysterious cloud creature. Oh my goodness. So an early attempt, obviously to uh, develop a relationship of some kind between O'Brien and Bashir, which by the end of the series, they're they're brothers. They're absolute brothers inseparable. But at this early stage, I mean, Bashir was kind of at his peak level of being obnoxious because he was a young cocksure just got out of medical school you know thinks his s doesn't stink kind of dude uh we didn't know at this point that he was genetically engineered so he kind of had that snarl going for him too i've often wondered was that attitude of his was he overcompensating to kind of throw people off the scent you know i don't know you know i I would almost think that that would be a possibility because yeah i mean we discover in season six that he was uh born with birth defects he was uh genetically enhanced at you know at his his parents his parents had him genetically engineered after birth uh to make him smarter and faster and stronger and all this stuff uh which is illegal because of little thing called the eugenics wars and a dude named Khan. um but you know we don't find that out until the series is almost over so other than that he's he's just a guy so I f- really, really felt that this whole episode was just kind of a ripoff on the idea of the next generation's the dolphin episode. Totally. I, I, I mean, that was my impression of the whole thing. I mean, you had that story and then the other story happening at the same time. But even on the planet, that whole Dow Rock thing where they're holding up the Dow Rock, it was very like He-Man. I have the power. It was, <laughs> and then and then the guy tries to kill him and um, explains himself by 
saying like, oh, I just wanted this position and then it's okay. He tried to commit murder. Right. All is forgiven. There's a lot of under rug swept that goes on in Star Trek in general. Like anytime data malfunctions, like you remember that two parter with the Borg and the where where Lore came back and took him over at the end of it, it was like you're good. It's okay, data, come out. It's no problem. Or anytime the holodeck malfunctions, everybody's like, I'm sure, I'm sure it's not going to happen again. It's going to be totally fine. The yeah. only thing I got from this that I really liked was when Nog was trying to resolve those diplomatic issues by saying, um, what did he say? See this as an opportunity. Right. I exactly. loved it. Do they have anything that you want? I yeah, did exactly. like that. The barter but, system. So, yeah, so he really – but it, it, in the end, it's Jake who has to kind of educate him on how barter works. He says, no, we want latinum. Well, the guy doesn't have latinum. He has this. So it turns into – Yeah, self, self-sealing stem bolts. You'll never find a better stem bolt in this sector. But it was kind of like – I'm sure you've heard that, that famous adage that there was a guy who started with a paper clip and kept trading it until he had a house. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember following that, and at one point he had a really nice car. And... Right, exactly. So it's, it's the same concept, which is funny because Nog – Later on in the series, when he, I mean, when he becomes a Starfleet ensign, he he helps O'Brien do the same kind of thing. Uh, and it's that episode of the the Great Material Continuum. You know, it's have something, trade it, know somebody, know, know somebody's hobby, so you can talk to him. So he illustrates himself as a real hustler, a real salesman. Where in this episode, as a kid, he was like, "No, I want latinum, and that's all I want is latinum," and not understanding how bartering works. So right. It, it's a real evolution in his character. I did, I, you know, I never even until I was talking about it, never even really thought about it in those terms. So, um, so yeah, so you're right. That was, I would definitely say the B story was better than that doll rock. There was a, was a my brother is a famous one for coining uh, phrases just based out of stuff. And he said, he said, moral of the story, K, Sarah, Sarah, because Sarah was the dude in the village. I'm like, yeah, spot on, bro. Spot on. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we're halfway through. Episode 15 is progress uh and this was again an early one that i really enjoyed uh kira has to deal with a stubborn farmer played by brian keith who refuses to leave his home even though it is slated for demolition Got good one brian keith and again he's an actor i'm sure he seems like kind of a hill street blues kind of guy like he played those kind of roles in the 80s but i i would have to look him up on imdb but he's just got kind of got one of those faces where he played kind of a rough and tumble either either you know somebody who operated on the fringes of the law or a gangster or something like that but just has a real edge to him and this is a great episode again there's a lot of character development for Kira because again she has to go and this guy and say hey we got to get you out of here and he's like so super on the humble he's like you know I appreciate that but I'm good I'm gonna stay put I felt she was too emotional yeah well again you know it it was kind of that first season Nana being very Kirk like you know where she was like this and that but this guy you know he's there he's got his two uh, associates who work in the field who are both uh, you know, butchered during the Kardashian occupation, so they don't speak. Uh, and you can tell that you know, you can tell even through the stories that that Molabach tells that you know he was obviously traumatized and tortured, but he managed to survive, and that's why he cling, clings like grim death to this this piece of land he's built. So, um, it, you know, it's a great story. Uh, it's a great character study for all of us and kind of learning to let things go things that are things and things that things aren't people, you know, and that you can always rebuild. I mean, you and I have both been through that. We were married, we were divorced, like, you know, there's rebuilding. So um, I think this was a great lesson in that. It was probably a great lesson in something that, that Kira learned as well. I was really looking for analogies in this. And all I could think of was 
whenever they're going to expand a highway and um, the plans in, they're trying to buy properties from people and you see all the protest signs in front of their homes Mm -hmm. and you know that it's just going to get built anyway and you feel really bad for them. I had kind of the same emotional reaction that I have for those people to this old man. I hear you. Yeah, but in the end of it, I mean, it's a very grim end. In the end of it, Kira has to force his hand. She sets his house on fire, and he says, if if I leave, I'll die. And then, of course, that's the last. You ever see the guy? You assume that he lives, and he relocates, but he's very sad. And It's not like he and Kira still go out to brunch because that was probably the end of their friendship. But, you know, she did what she had to do to literally save his life because he was going to die. He was going to literally die if he stayed there. So um, a good, like I said, a good kind of star Wars, or yeah, star Wars. Oh my God. Star Trek, uh, allegory. Uh, Ooh. I know, I know it's, you know what you, you do this long enough. You'll end up flipping it. Cause I do, I do shows on both. You end up flipping them. I end up talking about a lot of Star Trek over on our Hologram Chronicles show. I'll so do. I, do, I do stick it in. Well, I mean, Star Trek has so many great examples when it comes to genre everything, you know, and, and that show is primarily talking about canon. So I make that same reference talking about everything in, Star Wars, that's happened after a certain point. Everything is canon, books and comics, whatever it is. But in Star Trek, it's just on the screen or nothing. So anyway, um, episode 16, we're getting back into silly territory. If wishes or horses. Deep Space Nine is put in jeopardy when the crew's thoughts manifest themselves as such figures as Rumpelstiltskin appear. Oh, my goodness. So we get Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, my gosh. We, yeah, I know. We get Buck Bokai, who is a, a baseball hero of uh, Cisco's from the early 21st century. I think from the year 2015. So that one's kind of already passed us by. Uh, and then we get a ditzy version of Dax, who has fallen all over herself because she's in love with Bashir. So um, kind of, again, setting the tale. We had quite a few of these in the in the first half of the season where it's like something wacky is going on around the wormhole. And it, it's what... The, it's the DS9 version of the, the bottle show that they would have on TNG where they never needed to build any new sets because everything happened on the station. So there were there was no, which again, it's a lot more that case this first season because they don't really go anywhere in a lot of cases. They might jump in a runabout and fly somewhere, but not a lot of VX, VX yeah, you know, special effect shots because they're not leaving the station. But, you know, did, what do you think? Do you think they kind of made the most of it or is this just kind of a dud? I hate this episode. <laughs> okay. I, I really do. I, it's just weird. I looked for maybe an analogy in the writing. I can't find one. I don't get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what does it really teach us? You know what I mean? So whereas the, the Rumpelstiltskin thing doesn't make any sense. There's yeah no contribution to any one of the starring characters or the guest starring characters, the overall premise. So it's a dud and we'll leave it at that. That's fine by me. So number 17, we get our first our second uh, high, well, no, excuse me, our highest of the high-profile season one guest spots because in episode two we had the Dura sisters. Um, oh but yeah, this, that's right. Yeah, but this is uh, yeah, no, take it away. Episode seventeen, the Forsaken. The Federation ambassador, ambassador, sorry, from Beta Z, Loxana Troy, visits the station and develops an affection for Odo. Meanwhile, data from the mysterious Gamma Quadrant probe causes system failure on DS9. So, yeah, uh, B story data from mysterious probe causes system failure. Who cares? I mean, that is so dime a dozen. It's so so endemic of the season in general. But, you know, Waxana comes on and I think has uh, some really nice moments with Odo. Now, again, what a uh, cougar. Yeah. Well, I mean, wow. 
I guess, but I mean, you, we don't even really know how old Odo is, so you know. But yeah, kind of a kind of a horny older lady, if that's what you mean. Pardon the expression. Uh, and it also it's funny because that ties back to uh, the uh, season a season two episode of TNG when she's going through the Betazoid phase where a Betazoid woman can quadruple her sex drive. That's kind of terrifying, quite frankly. Even as a man, that's scary. Uh, but you know. The phase comes and goes, and is she in like some kind of after phase right now? So that's why she's clamoring after this this guy who's not really a guy. Um, who knows? But at any rate, they you know the, the B story does does service at least the A story because uh, Troy and uh, and Odo get stuck in an elevator, and because Odo has to get in his bucket every eighteen hours because he has to regenerate, he starts to break down. And he starts to break down physically and kind of emotionally as well. And so he en- he ends up opening up and talking to her, and she ends up you know revealing some things about herself. So that part of it I thought was 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 kind of spot on character development for both, especially this early on for Odo. I felt it was kind of cringeworthy though to watch her like really coming on to him when he was clearly uncomfortable with it. Yeah. That's hard for me to watch. Um, she does you. kind of redeem herself, you know, where she like takes her wig off to make herself relatable and then lets him kind of melt into her lap. But in the very beginning of it, I, I was a little uncomfortable with her attitude. Yeah. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That, that kind of behavior just continues to be less and less acceptable in our society, even from 25 years ago. So I, t- I mean, it's always been unacceptable, but people actually talk about it now. So right. I, I understand where you're coming from. So uh, episode 18, Dramatis, uh, Dr- Dramatis, Dramatis Personae. Tensions rise between the DS9 crew members after they are telepathically imprinted with the memories of participants of an alien power struggle. Man, this was the episode where people just got buck nasty. It's like the telepathic matrix was the mirror universe. Right. Everybody was snarking at each other and it didn't take much time at all for lines to be drawn and for, you know, assassinations to be planned. And so, yeah, it was it quickly turned into the kickoff was, you know, Kira wanted to wanted to delay a ship that Cisco said, you don't have any reason to delay them. And then, you know, once the telepathic imprint takes over, she's like, I'm going to do what I want and I think I'm going to kill him. And I, you know, she she goes on and starts recruiting and because whatever this uh, telepathic overlay that took over our main characters didn't affect Odo, he was able to play both sides of it and then bring it around to a point that uh, he could find a way to, you know, use a MacGuffin, an energy beam or whatever it is to drive it out of their heads. But yeah, Cisco snarling at Kira and Kira snarling at Cisco. And it was like, you know, the tensions are just thin. I liked Odo manipulating Bashir, though, through placating him, right. but also manipulating him at the same time. I thought that was kind of neat. Otherwise, I, I didn't like anything in this episode. Yeah, no, it was it was I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. So um, but anyway, uh, moving on to what I think are the, the last two se- uh, episodes of the season, which I think are clearly the best since the finale, at least in my esteem. Uh, certainly episode uh, number 19, which is Duet. A visiting Cardassian, Maritza, may be in fact a notorious war criminal, Gal Darheel, butcher of the Galatep labor camp, and Kira is determined to bring him down. Oh, there was not a wasted second in this episode. Wow, she was just bloodlust the whole right. time. Right, and then and and but <clears throat> thank God, and this was I think a, a pivotal development for the character that once confronted with the facts, she did a 180 because she did she did what she knew was right. 
She did, I mean? but also I I kept thinking this when I'm watching it. She shouldn't be allowed to talk to this prisoner because she's clearly too emotional and has this bloodlust. Like, why are right. they continuing to allow her to do this? Well, probably because it's TV. If I was to ask her to guess, and it's good drama. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It's um, and I even think Odo says, "I think you're too close to this," and he's like, "Yeah, but blah, 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 and they still let her go." So he works. Um, Odo works really well with Kira in this episode. Right, and they have this great, complete emotional detachment at this point in the series, which obviously evolves into, you know, he develops feelings for her kind of throughout seasons two and three. And then it's kind of, and, and through the Dominion arc, they, they get close and they back away. And it's finally in season six that they become a couple. And then one of the most poignant mo- moments of the finale is when he does return home and, and she watches him kind of wander off into the sea of changelings wearing his tuxedo. And, oh God, I can't wait till we get to talk about the finale. Probably the single finest episode of Star Trek I've ever seen. But... <clears throat> Just everything was firing on all cylinders, and so early in the series, it was like this was a, and even this was a script, <clears throat> excuse me, written by uh, some names that I don't find recognizable in the parlance of Star Trek: Lisa Rich and uh, Jeannie Kerrigan Fauci, names that I've never heard of before and, and never heard of again. So these were some outsiders that jumped in and wrote a script that was just dynamite you know you had you it had was this, very yeah. intense yeah you had this character maritza uh who was willing to uh make a public statement by faking his own identity and then and then dying for the crimes of another uh, a, a gull a, a butcher who was already dead as it turns out um but in the end of it you know he's freed kira's walking him out and he's like no i want you to start your life again and the a bajoran uh, drunk who was in the dr- uh, a guy who uh, who was in the drunk tank earlier in the episode who was finally out walks up behind and stabs him in the back and Kira says why he wasn't Darheel and the guy says he's a Cardassian and that's enough yeah that that was that was an interesting ending to it wasn't it big time yeah and for her to simply say no it's not shows that Kira is really starting to live in a bigger world than you know, living in a ditch and being a Bajoran resistance fighter. Her life has changed and it's been less than a year, which is actually a great statement that she makes in the next episode, the season finale, which is episode 20 uh, in the hands of the prophets. A conniving Bajoran cleric Vedic Wynn protests Keiko O'Brien's school on deep space nine. When she discovers Keiko is teaching her students that the inhabitants of the wormhole are aliens, not gods. My God, the Scopes Monkey Trial in Space. My brother dubbed it when we were watching it. You know, it's just, wow. I mean, the age-old, uh, you know, school school versus religion, which we struggled with in the middle part of the 20th century and continues to be a struggle today, you know, with with religious types and with, you know, the with, with folks who are atheists and aren't believers or they don't practice in the same way. And, you know, th- this turns into this <clears throat> introduces us to the character of Vedequin, who later becomes Kai. Sorry, sorry to spoil it. Uh, the, you know, pretty much at the end of next season. Um, but that she is a simply very duplicitous character. And it's funny <clears throat> with the adversarial relationship that she and Kira developed from the jump. Kira was behind her. Oh, she has my support. And I think, I think what she's talking about is right. This, this, and that. But at the end of the episode, when it becomes pretty clear that uh, Wynne was tacitly involved in an assassination attempt on Vedic Burial, who was also introduced in this episode, later becomes Kira's love interest. Uh, yeah, Kira kind of withdraws her support for obvious reasons when the assassin is caught. As she should. I mean, we learn Wynne is a bad person. I mean, she's very self-serving, um, which is also kind of a nod to the way that a lot of modern religion is now with these God, figureheads. Yes. No pun intended. 
Yeah. God, yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was fantastic. But again, there was a great line at the end of the episode where Kira said, my God, a year ago, uh, a year ago, I, I was hovering in a ditch you know, blowing up some Cardassian, you know, insulation or whatever. And if you would have come to me and told me the year later that I would be an administrator, an executive officer on a space station, I would have said you were crazy. So it's funny. You think about that really even, I mean, I was 17 when I saw this episode, so I was, I was very young, but even to, to realize at that time, what a difference a year makes in somebody's lives. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you realize when you get to be an adult and even an older adult, how quickly things can change and, you know, how, how circumstances and things that come into your life and, and the hand of fate can really turn things around. So um, I was enthused that they ended this first season, which was, again, super lumpy and filled with a lot of filler episodes um, in, into such a powerhouse. I thought it was a dynamite way to way to wrap it up. It was good. It kind of sets up the rest of the series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, by the end of this, uh, so season one uh, concluded uh, season six of uh, of Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. Uh, so obviously a very established program at that time. Um, but I, I, I dare say that while I was so entrenched in TNG, because I had been watching it since it came on, that the DS9 really, even with the clunky episodes, really set itself apart, you know, in this first season as being something kind of dynamic and interesting. So it does. Uh, and this series just gets better and better. Right. Exactly. So, um, so that is it. Uh, any final thoughts on the season? No, um, I, I like the episodes I watched, you know, like you said, there were some duds, but there were some really, really good ones. Right. Yeah. I would say on, on a whole, definitely this back half, uh, of season one clobbers the the front half of season one because there were even more duds in that one. So like come uh, along it, home. Yes. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> the Wadi, which so I, use, I, I used that in our, uh, what was it? The Scrabble that we did that, uh, we, that we did recently. We did Scrabble. No, we did, uh, you know, you say oh, here, scattergories. I, scattergories. That's yeah. what I was. Yeah. The Wadi was my, that was my pick. It was must be cause I watched the episode recently, but, uh, anyway, all right, moving into news, we have two stories this week, and then we're going to kind of take it up on out of here. So was announced this week that uh, the History Channel, which got it in the world of streaming, I don't even know if I have it. I mean, I don't know if that's on Hulu or... I think it's part of the Discovery program. Which I don't have. So, yeah, okay. I don't have Discovery Plus or whatever. So, oh, well. I get, you know, that that's always one of those that do a week's trial once it's out, and I'll watch it and cancel, and I'll get to see it anyway. Uh, so that, and they'll get to harvest all my information. And so everybody's happy. Uh, yeah. Documentary, uh, called the center seat, 55 years of star Trek is coming, uh, to the history channel, promising a deep dive into five decades of star Trek. So yeah, at first blush, when they say that, I'm like, Oh, it's going to be about TOS. And I'm kind of, cause I'm always kind of uh, about TOS, you know, so I, am I. yeah, I'm very much a TNG DS nine Voyager guy. Yeah, I mean, I as you, as you know, when I participated in trivia, I, it, I know a lot about that era, but I, I definitely struggled with the TOS stuff. But uh, since your Star Trek documentary series, the center seat, 55 years of Star Trek, is in development at the History Channel. Um, yeah, sprung from the mind of Gene Roddenberry, the original series, blah, 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 this, this thing and that thing. Um, talks about uh, the fact that it's not telling us when it's going to come out. So, um, you know, I have enjoyed documentaries uh about star trek as time goes on you know we had trekkies one and two we had uh, classic ones back in the day we had the ds9 one a couple of years ago which i thought was dynamite you know our new um surgeon general was in all the trekkie movies who the new region 13 
Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yep. Daryl, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Alex mentioned that. Yeah, that, he was very awesome. cool. Well, then he's got to maneuver his way to get into this one then. So he he better get on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, so yeah, so this is cool. Oh, excuse me. Uh oh, it said oh, it mentions that yeah, the anniversary is actually in September, but it says that this could potentially be out at that time. So something to look forward to in the fall. And when it does come out, what am I thinking of? Of course I'm going to have to watch it because we're going to have to talk about it on this show. So yes, we will watch it. We'll probably dedicate an episode to it that week. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so that's that. Any thoughts about that? Are you a, are you a big docu fan? I'm a docu fan. I'll definitely watch it. I mean, I liked the, um, search for Spock documentary that they did on netflix i thought it was wonderful so oh yeah yeah no, it was dynamite so uh and then second news and this one touches very close to my heart i mean it's it's no secret that oh I'm my a, gosh i'm a big fan of captain pike simply because that's you know i'm a cosplayer and that's one of my top cosplays because you know the hair helps absolutely but strange new worlds beams aboard five new additions to the cast and production is underway um, so yeah, we uh, were the, the prequel series, which we've known about for probably about a year now, uh, starring Anson Mount as Captain Pike, Ethan Peck as Lieutenant Spock, and Rebecca Romaine as Number One, and their ongoing adventures, which we're still, I'm still hoping, are going to be post-discovery, not pre-discovery, because I think that would be a waste if they, you know, didn't take advantage of what a journey that season two of discovery was for Spock. You know, you don't really want to see him being robotic Spock. You want to see him be a little bit further moved along. So isn't this supposed to have like standalone episodes though? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, and that's very, yeah. Very. Episodic. That's something I like. Cause I like being able to watch something. We can talk about it. You right. can watch any episode at any point. I mean, if we were to watch discovery, we would have to watch it in order right? because exactly. it all ties together. But this, it, we could just pick one up and it's right. It's, it's fine. It's, it's a planet of the week, so it is embracing a format uh, that is very familiar to Star Trek, but then also very popular with, you know, with, with watchers of old. So let's hope that that's something that, you know, watchers of old enjoy. So um, we get a, we get a kind of a string of a name of actors. One face I'm kind of familiar with. Uh, I'm not even. I don't know if you're looking at the article. I don't know if I can even attempt the name of the, this this first dude. His last name. Yeah, Give he was. I know from Black Mirror. Okay, but how do you say the name? I'm not going to try to say it either. I have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Bab, we'll call him ba- Babs, B-A-B-S. We'll call him Babs O. Uh, was, yeah, exactly. Olucin Moken. Oh, that works for me. I like okay. it. Uh, yeah, Netflix's Black Mirror, Marvel's The Defenders. Well, I'll have to rewatch that. Uh, and The uh, Night Of from HBO. Uh, and, again, all of these are... Um, no character description, so we do not know who they're going to be. Christina Chong is she's from one. she's from Black Mirror too. Oh, well, there you go. I guess there's a Black Mirror fan in the casting department here. So, uh, Christina Chong currently appears in the uh, recently released Tom and Jerry uh, animated movie, which is on HBO Max right now. CW's Bulletproof. She's been in Doctor Who, BBC's Ill Behavior, uh, BBC's Line of Duty, Sci-Fi's Dominion, etc. She's who got a lot of a lot of genres. Who was she in Doctor Who? I don't remember her. Doesn't I mean I'm not I'm not that much of a Whovian, but yeah she doesn't jump out to me could just be a guest star you know okay. if it was anything more than that I'm sure that it would probably be recognizable uh, Celia Rose Gooding uh, is from uh, starred as Frankie Healy and Jagged Little Pill which I assume was not about Alanis Morissette oh it was inspired no, by it Alanis is. Morissette oh my gosh uh, yeah on Broadway oh I wow okay yeah so she's a theater actor. Right, it doesn't even mention any film credits, so that and that's perfect. And the Spirit of Track, let's use theater actors; they're wonderful. Exactly. Uh, next up is Jesse Bush. 
uh, from the indie feature Skinford. Doesn't ring a bell for me. Uh, and then Channel 10 series playing for keeps. I'm assuming that's British. It's uh, Australian. No, there you go. Yeah, because this mentioned she also played the role of Bella in the Australian series Halifax Retribution. So I love the Aussies. My favorite podcast that I'm not in uh, is called The Weekly Planet. They have a string of podcasts kind of like we do. So I kind of get things that are Aussie. So I just I'm a fan. What can I say? Uh, Melissa Navia is next. Uh, she has been in. Uh, AMC's critically acclaimed series Diet Land, not familiar with it. Showtime's Billions, I wouldn't know Don Cheadle stars in that. And then Homeland, which is a show my wife watches. Um, and then an off-Broadway debut, so again, a theater actor. So uh, that's the end of that slate. So that is a, a real powerhouse. Now, it makes me wonder. Now, we haven't heard anything about kind of Discovery disco prizes, because that's what we, were, that's what we refer, to the, refer to the uniforms as, as customers, because they're a vastly improved version of the TOS pajama shirts, which I can't stand. Absolutely can't stand. I know some people really easily identify. I know you you have a traditional disco uniform, don't you? And and I do as well. I do. I I do like the way that the next gen um, are because you don't really have to have matching pants. The next you can just wear you can wear black pants. Right. You talk about next gen is the next generation or the next gen of this uniform that we're talking about. The next oh, generation. Oh, gotcha. Well, these are very similar, and actually, they're the pants that come with these because I did kind of buy them separately. And again, what's nice about the Disco Prize uniforms is that it's a jacket, so it zips up, and it does have that weird floppity collar that the Discovery one does. Um, but it's the exact same patterning. So the 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 you know you kind of got the shoulders with the the lines on them, and the the pants the pants which are separate. Which I can't wear the pants, so I literally just wear the uniform top with pajama pants when I'm on camera. Okay. Um, because the pants are always too short. I'm too tall. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's why I like the other series pants where they don't have to match. I can just that, wear my own black that, pants that I are long say, enough. You should absolutely get one. And if we ever end up doing a show together, we can we can wear them together. As long as it's, you know, neck up, I can wear the disco top. <laughs> so you, you'd have to be sitting down? We'd mm-hmm. have to have you at the table on the laptop and you couldn't stand up? Absolutely. Like a blanket thrown over you like Aunt May from Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, we could do that. There you go. Um, so, yeah, we don't know anything about uh, the potential return of uh, S'more Smallwood's Lieutenant Amin or Amit uh, Couture's Cadet Sidhu, who we saw in the short track. So, but anything is possible. But I got to tell you, and again, I would love it if they, you know, if, if the show's in production, I hope to God that means we see it before the end of the year. It would be great if it was this fall, but I don't know. I doubt it. I think yeah. we'll be able to see it this time next year. Yeah, which is, you know what? What will all st- God willing will all still be here. So what difference does it really make? You know exactly. I mean? um, but I, I'm really like I said, this is kind of my sense of anything that's come along. This is the thing I'm the most fired up about because I just love Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. I he love just, your enthusiasm. He just really nails it. So um, well, good. Uh, well, that is the end of the program. So uh, I'm going to give you, as we talked about in the pre-roll, I'm going to give you Alex's. Uh, honor of reading the outro message so you go right ahead okay for more information about starfleet international and michigan and beyond please visit grand petoskey septarian or nomad on facebook Ooh, you snuck that in that's okay the code 47 podcast is part of the secret friends unite podcasting network and is produced by todd oxtra 
Yes, my brother from another mother. Uh, thank you, friends, as always, for joining us. Again, we are part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network uh, consisting of this wonderful program, which is weekly, and we talk about Star Trek. Uh, the Holocron Chronicles, which is bi-weekly, myself and uh, Mark Carabin, the Canardian, talking about Star Wars. Uh, co-op mode is Todd Extra, who is my best friend of 25 years and the the other main secret friend and Mark talking about video games. And of course, Todd and I, six and a half years running, uh, doing the Secret Friends Unite podcast, which is kind of your a la carte geek culture podcast. So uh, find us wherever you find your podcast, whether that be uh, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, etc. cetera. Uh, please five star and leave us a review and we can get you a great prize from our fantastic digital library also hit us up on twitter over at secret friends you let us know things you're enjoying trek video games star wars what have you uh and we will talk about it on the show if you have a question we'll answer that too uh we also have a great store over on t public uh, that has the logos from all of your favorite uh, Secret Friends Unite shows. Proceeds from that do benefit a charity very near and dear to my heart here in Michigan called the League of Enchantment, which does outreach uh, for kids across the country, uh, including hospital visits and care packages and things of that nature. So do that and know that you are benefiting a great cause. Uh, Aaron, once again, thank you for joining me. Where can people find you out in the world of social media? So you can find us at uh, USS Nomad Facebook page. We also have a brand new website we launched. And it's gorgeous. It nice. is USS Nomad or USS Nomad.ca. Canadians. Yes, they're they're. I'm not Canadian, but my ship is Canadian. I'm not a Canadian, but I sometimes play one on the show myself personally. Um, well, that is awesome. So again, friends, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, I'm going to tell you as always that sharing is caring. And to keep on trucking. Thank you for having me.